You are listening to episode 37, the Catalyst 2018 Tribal Collaboration Mashup. This episode is powered by Rogue Water, the public communication company and Catalyst co-founder, founded by yours truly, the H2 Duo. Hi, this is Chris Wolf, host of Adventure Hydrology. This is the podcast demonstrating the value of education in the water sector. It's water in real life with my friends, the H2 Duo, Stephanie Zavala and Ariane Shipley. In early 2018, Greg Bukash, external affairs manager at the San Antonio Water System, and our mentor asked me and Ariane if we would partner with them to create a summit built for water educators and communicators by water educators and communicators. Uh, we said yes before he even finished the question. Catalyst follows the Rogue Water ABCs of water communication, which are assessment, branding, content, and strategy. We believe that nailing these core basics directly impacts your ability to move the needle forward for your education programs, your communication campaigns, and your organization. At Catalyst 2018, we ended with a section called Tribal Collaboration, where we had three industry rock stars talk about the power of collaboration in our industry from a local, national, and global perspective. These are snippets from our podcast interviews with them leading up to Catalyst. Tom Ferguson, Vice President of Programming at Imagine H2O, talked the incredible importance of communication to the water sector from his global and entrepreneurial perspective. Travis Loop, Director of Communication and Outreach at the Water Environment Federation, talked the importance of understanding your audience when it comes to effective communication. And Lynn Christopher from San Antonio Water System told us about their core program for San Antonio ISD teachers and the ripples that program is already making. So without further ado, let's get to the show. So obviously, um, number two was our favorite. Uh, <laughs> right. We yes. topic, not like yeah. number two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, number two is fun to tweet about. <laughs> absolutely. <laughs> Hashtag water puns. And, and, tweeting is, and tweeting is integral to number two. Um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, the this one is like. Number two and tweet. Yeah. So yeah, right. give us your take on, uh, on the communication. Yeah, for sure. I mean, you know, I, you, the people who are listening to this, you know, I, I'm obviously like just as with Catalyst preaching to the preaching to the choir. Um, but again, like all the people and plans are, uh, in the world are irrelevant if you can't communicate it, um, you know, both internally and externally. Like the power of storytelling is is absolutely enormous. And again, it gets treated as fluff. You know, why would we have a storytelling workshop in a water utility? Um, that's not what we do. We don't need to do that. You absolutely do need to do that. Um, because being able to communicate like the value of your organization and the community underpins pretty much everything that you want to do uh, up to and including the politics of your board um, or all the way into the, uh, the rate rises. Um, you know, the most fundamental things that a water utility is going to need to do is going to rely on communications and it is... It is absolutely undercooked um, as a as a as an issue, but it, it's not just water utilities, right? Um, it's all water organisations. Um, you know, startups in water. You know, we try and get ours to to, to to be as strong on this as possible. But it's um, if you walk into you know any water conference or any kind of um, you know st uh, startup pitch competition, it's almost invariably you'll have maybe sixty to seventy percent. You know, their slide deck doesn't look good. Or you look at their logo and you think, ah, and it's like, wait, hang on a second. I have no idea what brand you're trying to communicate. You know, what all these kind of problems are, you know, are, are, a, are a real issue. And the good thing is that they're relatively simple to solve. It's just 
you know, banging the drum over and over and over again. It's making sure that you're very, very clear about your, the, the message that you're trying to convey, um, obviously both internally and externally. Kind of, you know, the, the biggest kind of examples I can kind of point to is that, you know, every organization should have a mission and a vision. Right, um, and then a set of core values, and then a set of core values. Right, and you need to make those visible. Um, I was so struck. I walked into the Santa Clara Valley Water District uh, just a couple of years ago when I was relatively new, and I looked up, and there was a banner in their front hall um, that said exactly what the mission was. You know, write the goddamn thing on the wall. You know that there's there's um I can't remember whether this is apocryphal, but I've been parroting it ever since. You need to say something twenty four times internally before anybody believes you yes constant banging of the drum whether it's a strategy or a mission or a vision or it's the focus for this quarter or or whatever it is or some cultural change you're trying to affect like it's hard but if you can get good at it it's a total superpower because everybody else is is really not uh really not that great at it Uh, and you're gonna get sick of hearing yourself and you're gonna think that everyone's heard it a million times and you're gonna think that they're tired of you and they want to like follow you or whatever but the truth is is they probably haven't even heard it yet so just keep on saying it i think that's like the biggest thing is that we get so caught up in thinking that we're just saying the same thing over but um that it's just we've had that time and time again in conversations where we're like, well, isn't everyone kind of tired of hearing about that? And they're like, they haven't even heard it yet. So keep yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I think Facebook post, you know, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. It might be the best like poster in the world, nope. but your one Facebook post about one thing, one topic. Um, I'm sorry. I didn't get to every single person. So just keep going a little bit more. Yeah, okay. yeah exactly. It's fine. And it's okay to repost stuff. Like, all the rest yeah all the rest of it i think just like one the one last point on this is that um it is it is the essence of an unfair advantage um with entrepreneurs we're always looking for unfair advantages what have they got that can't be replicated and people usually jump jump straight to the technical but one of the big things is is um you know being able to tell a story and you know the fundamental way of of doing that is is charisma right That, that that can obviously go wrong um, if you're overly charismatic and you don't have the, uh, the execution kind of behind it, then you can blow up rather large sums of money. I'm looking at you, Saranos. Um, <laughs> you were looking at me. I know. So I got nervous. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, we're, we're bad. Blood. Anyway, we're probably going to talk about that later. like a hundred bucks on a bottle of wine, but I don't care that <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like <laughs> yeah well, and, um, but, but in, in terms of what I was really struck by this, I saw, um, Alexandra, uh, Ocasio-Cortez, you know, who just got elected in, um, in New York. Um, no matter what you think of her politics, right, is that is that you you look at that person and she's got more charisma in her little finger than most people have in their entire body. You watch it and you want to listen to her. You want to be around her. You want to be part of the message that she is saying. And if you are a natural communicator and you have like whatever it is, it's really hard to teach. It's really hard to teach. And for, in terms of organizations, like if we're just talking from the point of view of early stage companies, people who are able to convince their first investors and their second investors and third investors, but more importantly, their initial customers, even more importantly, the team members that want to come in and do something as crazy as be part of a water startup, right? You know, being able to tell this story is absolutely vital across the board and it really is like an absolutely unfair unfair advantage so that's that's the communications piece 
We, in preparing for this, actually took a podcast course by um, Entrepreneur on Fire, John Lee Dumas. I don't want to say his name wrong, but Dumas, Dumas, John Lee Dumas. And um, in the very beginning of that, we were tasked with creating our avatar for this um, for this podcast and really like nailing down who our audience is because he was like, you're going to have so many questions that you're going to be asking yourself, but you need to remember that if you have this solid avatar that you can come back, this essentially audience, you can come back and say, it's not about me. It's about what I want to hear. It's about what your avatar, what would your avatar want to hear? So our Mm. like avatar's name is Karen. So when we, when we plan this, we're like, well, what would Karen want to listen to? Yeah. (laughs) What would Karen care about? Yeah. And we have the, all those attributes of who Karen is. I'm using air quotes, Karen. Um, But, you know, Arianne brought up the point that was like, that would be super cool if utilities, instead of like doing kind of that, building themselves up with that fear, instead say, okay, this isn't about what I want to say, but what would my, their Karen want to hear from me? I need to take myself out of this and look from the perspective of a customer and ask myself, okay, if this was happening in my utility, how would I want my utility to tell me? And kind of approach it from that way. So we wanted to ask you just because we literally brainstormed that like an hour ago, 30 minutes ago. We wanted to like just toss that one out and see what you thought about that idea. <laughs> I mean, uh, that is a terrific idea. It's actually um, in media relations also when you're preparing messaging and you're preparing for an interview, uh, don't think of yourself as talking to that reporter. Think about talking to your Karen. Like, yeah. who are you trying to reach with that interview? Yeah. Um, so so don't talk to answer that reporter's questions and, and try to educate them. Talk to get your messages to who your important uh, audience person is on the other side. So And you do the same thing. You create. Who am I talking to? I'm talking to Joe. Joe's 52. He lives in the burbs. He's going to be voting. He's on the fence this year. Uh, he had, yeah. you know... what what do I want to tell Joe? And you yeah. make sure you get that out in your interview. So wow. it, goes, it goes that way too. Yeah, yeah. I'm so glad really you brought in that perspective. It takes the pressure off of the speaker, I feel like. And, and even as a podcaster, it, it makes me feel, you know, okay, it's not about me and what I need to figure out. It's what do they really need or want to hear. I love it. And that's like such a more comfortable way to do um, like media training for uh, okay, for a utility. Sorry, Sorry Arianne's playing with my hair. Right now. hair off of my face. <laughs> um, that's such a uh, a better way to media train like a <laughs> director is to be like, okay, let's not freak out about this person who's going to be standing in front of you with a camera and a microphone, but we need you to just visualize. Bleh. And it's right. funny, the the name I keep coming to is this guy named Scott Bauman. I have to give him a shout, shout out. out. He is like <laughs> the biggest water fan in Mansfield. He is so awesome. He works for Freezing Nichols. Freezing Nichols and is not even in part of the water. Um, I think he's like IT. Yeah, he's like an IT, but he's like the biggest water fan and we adore him. So yeah. when we were like thinking about this and having this conversation, we were like, gosh, what, what should those directors be saying to Scott? Like, yeah. <laughs> What's up, Scott? What's up, Scott? Okay, <laughs> oh, he is going to lose it. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Um, so it doesn't necessarily have to be something from the podcast, um, just maybe in your experience with WEF or even with the EPA, like, and you kind of touched on this a little bit, but do you have like a success story that kind of sticks out in your mind as when communication and a utility or a, um, 
governmental agency has really used that to kind of save the day and create change or averted a larger problem by just being communicating? Oh, boy. Um, well, I don't know. This has made me wonky. Uh, <laughs> we like wonky. But, yeah, I'm, I'm just looking up stuff on my wall, and I'm like, okay, I could talk about that. Uh, <laughs> I want to see this so, wall. Yeah. <laughs> it, so it is wonky. So the Chesapeake Bay is, you know, the nation's largest oh, yeah. estuary. Mm-hmm. And so I worked there on kind of the whole restoration cleanup effort. And we were trying to develop a new pollution diet, a, a giant TMDL for the mm-hmm. water nerds, total maximum daily load. Yeah. Uh, it's, a, it's the largest of its kind. And so this was like involving six states, Washington, D.C., thousands of counties, uh, and a multi-year process. Uh, and this was where we, <clears throat> the government is like, we're coming to set restrictions on how much nitrogen and phosphorus you can let go in the Chesapeake Bay. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was really, it wasn't one silver bullet, but it was that getting out there. And we did a uh, six-week 24 city tour of the watershed where we went and sat we had like one-on-one meetings with uh agriculture groups or uh industry groups we sat down with editorial boards we held town halls we did local uh, media interviews and there were of course people in the end that ultimately opposed um you know the work because there always are, but it was able to get finalized and set, and it's it's the largest, most unique kind of its uh, type wow. of TMDL nice. in the country. And I think that just like the massive outreach um, is part of what did that. Mm-hmm. And also, um, I think with water, we have to make it local for people, like as local and personal as exactly. you can get it. And time after time, I've seen that being a key to success in communications. Uh, so with the Chesapeake Bay, people in Pennsylvania and New York and West Virginia, you know, they didn't they didn't really care about the Chesapeake Bay that far downstream. Yeah. But what they ca- they cared about the river in their town where they'd go fishing. Yeah. Um, so you, you get you get people to make that connection to where they are and what they do. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's that's kind of been a big key. Nice. I well, I love that idea of all of those different people coming together for with a common goal. I guess that's um, that's an amazing story, and that kind of brings me to um, this question: to where I don't want to make this all seem just utility focused like oh I mean if you guys only just did this or that everything would be better I mean I really 100% believe that the the future of water is 100% dependent upon utilities working with their customers and customers working with their utility I think it's a two-way road Um, and so is there something that you think that customers or like the stakeholders can do better to work with their utility or to move forward uh, this mark to get us to the next level that we want to get to? You know, I, 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 I'm just coming off the top of the bat, what can I think of there? <laughs> I guess, uh, you know, if there are people in the public, if there are ratepayers, if there's customers, members of the community who support what a utility is doing, they can be an ambassador for what the yeah. utility is doing, and they can tell their neighbors about it, uh, and they can, you know help educate their friends and, and put stuff up to spread the word. Yeah. Um, I, I think that it's really key that the community 
supports vocally supports the utility. Yes. Yes, I agree. Yeah. And and we we really um, challenge or not, maybe not challenge, but we really like hope that people will begin to if they have questions that they come to their utility first instead of. Um, Mm. self-diagnosing by going on the internet you know I took psychology in college and the first thing and this was before like really like Google was like a thing you know and (laughs) and uh, the professor was like okay I don't want any of you to start self-diagnosing yourself on like WebMD because ultimately like we all have something you know and (laughs) and if you take some of these things that you're learning and so I mean, you got to go to the source, and I really would like for um, people to feel more comfortable coming to their utilities to ask these questions. But on the flip side, we want utilities to be prepared for that. <laughs> I, I really like that idea. I, I see where you're getting at in having uh, members of the public that wonder about something uh, don't just go with whatever rumor is circulating out there exactly. or don't just go to the newspaper about it actually try to get the information from the utility and but then your point is also key where does that person go mm-hmm. to get the information well mm-hmm. are the the people that answer the phone just customer service are they prepared to answer questions or at least can they take the customer's info and have somebody get back to them who can yeah, um, yeah. are they answering questions on facebook you know that are mm-hmm. posted or things that are tweeted at them yeah uh, and that, yeah that's that's a good point that's a resources issue for sure too Definitely. Or, and just, you know, that's a for us also a training issue, too, and just making sure that um, if there is sort of kind of a media crisis going on, that there's the foresight to be like, hey, team, we need to get together. This is kind of what's going on in our neighborhood. Um, we kind of need to all be afloat of what's happening. And then kind of giving your utility billing people, who are probably going to be the people who are the first line of, of defense if you will like if you can't answer a question do not feel like you have to i mean i think the public should be understanding that if as long as utilities are getting back to them in a timely manner um and and are responding that they shouldn't expect maybe that very first person that they talk to when they call to be able to give them an answer especially if it's related to any sort of like treatment or um uh what's the word i'm looking for like what alex says like the the day-to-day operations of, of yeah. the utility, you know, like I'm a I'm a utility billing person. I'm I'm mostly tasked with the billing, you know. So I'm not a I'm not a water treatment plant operator. So I'm not going to be answer those kinds of questions. But um, that's our goal in life is to one day <laughs> strengthen that relationship between um, customers and their utility because um, I know it's government and I know I know that you did say that. Utilities are a trusted entity, and, and they are, but the people that kind of have some skepticism towards government are obviously going to lump them in with that. And, you know, we, everyone that we've been blessed to work with has been kind of salt to the earth and just has best intentions. And just being able to communicate the amazing people who work in our industry from the WEF directors of communication to the, um, to our guys out there in the field, mm-hmm. so... Yeah, I mean, and I think that uh, if a utility has that regular outreach and regular communications and regular transparency, that if some customer or some citizen notices something and wonders what's up, 
they'll get a little bit more of the benefit of the doubt and they'll yeah. get a little, little, have a little more patience in having that utility respond. Mm-hmm. You know, um, if you have a terrific utility in your town, that's doing awesome progressive stuff. You're going to be like, and your friend Bob is like, Oh, there's, there's something over here. They're doing something. You're going to be like, nah, I don't know, Bob. That's kind of, <laughs> I don't think so. These, these guys are awesome. Yeah. yeah. We hate Bob. No, just kidding. <laughs> we don't yeah. hate you, Bob. We just want to educate you. At Catalyst, you spoke about CORE, which is your teacher program at SAWS. And CORE was a program that was initially meant to be a way for you and Greg at the time, because it was just you two, to multiply your team, if if you will, by building these teacher ambassadors. But it's actually evolved into something quite different. So can you tell us about that evolution that's happened? Well, that's right. Like like most um, informal education programs, we've got a lot of ground to cover and not much staff to do it. Uh, so we, we do consider the teachers that we work at an important part of, or one of our tools, um, because, like you say, they can they can multiply uh, our efforts. Um, but we um, uh, we started thinking about well, how can we how can we formalize um, uh, this tool? How can we um, give these you know have a group of teachers maybe that we could use to uh, train and and to to be to use it as a formal tool. Um, we just really didn't know what kind of reaction we were going to get uh, for, from teachers uh, if we were coming and asking them to, to add one more thing to, to their plate and, and because we all know that, 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 that teachers are, have far more than they can do. So we decided to kind of go about it in a, in a sneaky way and kind of lure them in. We um, uh, rented a bus and put out an email that we were going to take a busload of teachers to the TAE conference in uh, Houston a few years ago. And uh, it would, we were going to pay for their registration and we are pay for the bus. And uh, uh, as you can imagine, uh, we got quite a response and we ended up filling that bus and, and off we went to, uh, to Houston with these teachers. We had all grade levels, uh, elementary, high school, middle school. Um, and uh, we had three hours on the bus together uh, doing uh, travel games. You wouldn't believe what we did with, with a roll of toilet paper, having toilet paper tosses and, and wrapping people, mummy contest, wrap, uh, mummy contest, wrapping contest. And, and, uh, but all that was strategic because by the time I got them to Houston, we were already bonded as a, as a group. And um, the only thing that they owed us um, was to attend a meeting that we had uh, in the hotel after the conference one night. It was sort of our um, timeshare speech. Uh, we, they had no idea at that point why we were doing what we had done uh, by taking them to, uh, to Houston. We brought him into the room and we and we began to pitch this idea. Um, at the at that point, it was you know it was sort of a vague idea. We didn't really know what we were doing, um, and uh, all they had to do was sit and listen to it. They didn't have to commit or anything. Uh, but we got some comments back from them, and and uh, a few weeks later, we invited that same group to come to to dinner, and uh, um, we had about half of them show up. And we presented the uh, the idea of of core, 
um, which is, um, uh, in this case, uh, C-O-R-E um, represents community ownership, responsibility, education, uh, engagement again, but it's community creating connecting points um, to SAWS and to one another among the teachers, ownership, uh, developing a motivated, self-driven group of water literate leaders, responsibility, uh, they share ex expertise and resources and ideas and strategies with one another, and um, and they in engagement and education, they are multiplying water literacy and environmental awareness across their region. So we, we pitched this idea to them, and we had them... Um, we had several that uh, decided they were going to stick it out with us, and uh, that was was the the beginning of of what core is uh, what core is today. But as plans often do, we had a plan, but it very quickly became aware that this group was going to kind of take us down a down a different a different path. Uh, one of the very first meetings that we had, um, we asked the teachers to. Um, to uh, list um, what they uh, to make a list of community leaders uh, to just write down what uh, who who they considered community leaders and as teachers would they did a really good job they had this long list up on the whiteboard of everyone that they uh, considered leaders in the community they only left out one they left out teachers they had not included teachers as of in that list of community leaders. Wow. And that was a little bit eye-opening for us. And we, we began to realize that teachers get a lot of professional development, um, but it's mostly based on their, their students. They get content-based professional development, um, classroom management. They get a lot of, of professional development, but not that, that kind of thing that pours into them that is uh, that is focused on them personally. Um, so we began to um, let uh, CORE kind of evolve on its own and, and kind of grow organically. Um, and, uh, and, and that's what it's kind of moved into now. It is, uh, we meet once a month um, and uh, the, the programs are designed to um, to pour into these into these teachers and to we would like to say to fill their buckets back up because you know that they're pouring out of their buckets all the time and if we don't if they don't have a way to pour their to fill their buckets back up that well is going to go dry eventually and that's the reason teacher burnout is is so rampant we tell them from the very beginning that the program is not about their kids, that core is not about their kids. And that's really, really hard for them to understand and to wrap their heads around. It's about them and everything that we're, we're going to do over the course of the year is about them. And But you and I know that ultimately that benefits their kids because if they are healthy and their buckets are full, then their kids are going to be getting much better um, experience and much better education from 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 those kids. We know we've hit on something though because um, every, every month we're kind of surprised when because we meet on a Thursday night. Now, granted, we we provide a meal for them, but we're surprised every single month that these teachers will be teaching all day long and then they will come to Saws for a meeting um, on Thursday night. 
And I, 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 but not only do they show up, we can't get them to leave. We'll be done with the program, and they're still hanging around and 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 talking and sharing, and yeah. and uh, it's a safe place for them to do that, and it's a very powerful. Um, uh, moment for them because they um, they are getting their buckets buckets filled. It's you know it's kind of funny. We have teachers who will um, tell us they invite colleagues to to come to a meeting and the and that colleague immediately says, well, what's this meeting all about? <laughs> and they have, they they say, well, I don't know, but you've really got to come check it out. It's really special. So it's it core is kind of hard to explain unless you really unless you've experienced it. Yeah. But um, uh, it, it it is proving to be um, a, a very very powerful program that we have, um, and, and so much so that we have. Uh, last year we had a uh, a second group branch off from the main one that meets here at SAWS, and next year we're going to have a third group. Wow. So we, we call our teachers pebbles, and uh, we're dropping pebbles and just watching the ripples go. Uh, yes, I'm so glad. I love all the water metaphors, like the buckets and the pouring into and um, and all of those analogies. Of course, you're, you know, you're SAWS. We're in the water biz. We have to use those, but... Can you give us just one example of something that you do in CORE that can really demonstrate that idea of pouring back into those educators? Well, um, one of the things that uh, that um, uh, we do every um, month is to provide them with uh, uh, with with some sort of some sort of resource. Um, uh, but well, I'll give you a, a for instance. Next year, um, we're going. We we've picked a theme already for next year, and it's dreaming. We we we're going to uh, everything next year. Is, all of our programming is going to be built on um, finding your dream, and then how do you pursue your dream? And as as young children, most of us know how to dream and know how to dream big. But unfortunately, as we grow older, I think that we we lose that a lot. Definitely. And so, one of the things that that we're we're those dreams are there, um, but I think that uh, quite often it's they get they get covered up with all the stuff of life. Mm-hmm. And um, so, what we're what we're working on for next year is helping these teachers find their dreams and how to and and, and then maybe start pursuing them a little bit. We hope you enjoyed this mashup. Our next two mashups will also be related to Catalyst. They'll be with six of our other Catalyst 2018 speakers. On January 28th, Season 2 of Water in Real Life kicks off with another Catalyst 2018 speaker, the George Hawkins. He gave the best pep rally on earth to a room full of people passionate about water communication. And between him and Greg Bukash, it was like water church up in there, y'all. Waterlooia. So registration for Catalyst 2019 goes live on January 14th. Catalyst takes place June 19th through the 21st in San Antonio, Texas on the Riverwalk. We have limited spots available for Catalyst 2019, and that's legit. That's not like a marketing thing that we're doing, you know, limited time only. We, um, because of the logistics of this unique summit, we can only accommodate up to 70 to 75 people. So sign up for the Water Nerd newsletter to ensure that you're one of the first to register to guarantee your spot. You can do that by visiting vh2duo.com. 
And we'll have this information up on the show notes as well. Shout out to our incredible Catalyst 2019 sponsors, Texas AWWA, the Water Environment Association of Texas, Lower Colorado River Authority, Alliance for Water Efficiency, 120 Water Audit, and Dallas Water Conservation. If you or your organization would like to sponsor the most rogue water summit around, please visit roguewatergroup.com forward slash catalyst and get some more information and see what that's all about there. We hope to see you there in June at Catalyst and we hope to see you next Monday when our latest podcast drops. Until then, remember what one of our favorite quotes says, those who tell the stories rule the world.